Good afternoon, good evening, good night, everyone, wherever you are. This is England is Burning for March 14, 2021. We are back with our set of weekly features. Today, it is Chelsea Weekly Feature. Chelsea fans, how do you feel? Yes, I'm asking y'all, how do you feel today? Conti Cup, back-to-back trophy lifting champions again a incredibly decisive 6-0 victory over Bristol City lifting the Continental Cup for the second time in a row how do you feel we have Rob Fratley back from the CFCW social we spoke with him uh, on Friday as part of our preview uh, special Rob how are you feeling today uh, I'm I'm good. A little bit tired now, but feeling very good after sort of the last couple of results. And how do you uh, have you gotten a pulse of how Chelsea fans are feeling today about the lifting of the the second trophy this season? I mean, r- realistically, this was the one where Chelsea fans, I think, expected the most to win it, and that's not being you know rude and unreasonable. I have said, you know, I, I said that the other day I have great respect for Bristol and how they got to the final. And I've said this again this afternoon on the Vixen cast. But ultimately, Chelsea are a better side. And it was always going to be a case that if Chelsea turned up and played as well as we know they can, then, you know, they were going to win it. And indeed they did. So, yeah, I'm good. we're going to go through sort of the week that was for Chelsea. And we're going to talk a lot about the, the the Conti Cup final this afternoon. But I want to do a little bit of a lead up, Rob, uh, leading up to that. There was an, a, a, an important match as far as Chelsea's aspirations for the future, because everyone knows that Chelsea's going for a boatload of trophies uh, this season. But part of the journey is you have to get through uh, some some other events to get to the finals. And so we had earlier for them, they had the Champions League second leg in Italy, the uh, dreaded away match uh, in Italy, even though the other team you're playing is from Spain, uh, playing Atletico Madrid uh, earlier in the midweek, and that ended up with a 1-1 draw. And that was enough for Chelsea to go through uh, to the next round to the quarterfinals. Uh, Rob, what was, what was your impression of, of that match midweek? I mean, at the end of the day, I I think all Champions League ties have to be viewed in... You can't view a tie in single isolation. Ultimately, they are two-legged affairs. Chelsea had done enough in the first leg to make it a situation in the away leg where um, Atletico needed to attack. Atletico didn't really do that for the opening 45 minutes. I mean, the first half sort of passed by without incident. Neither side really did a lot. I mean, Chelsea had a couple of chances ultimately it was going to be a game where once Chelsea got one it was tie over because then Atleti needed four um and if Atleti got the first one then it sort of put seed of doubt in the mind I mean Chelsea sort of looked comfortable and then they sort of lost it briefly in the second half they made some substitutions and just sort of lost the flow of the game Atleti missed a couple of really good chances um Ajabade missed one particularly really good one and then you know their usual old problems returned uh, penalties and this time it was Tony Duggan the third Taker across um, two ties, stepping up and smacked it against the crossbar and up the other end. Chelsea went up the other end. Wrighton's cross was chested by a defender and somehow the referee gave a penalty. I'm still not quite sure how on earth the referee mm-hmm. would look at that in real time. Stephanie Frappard, she's an excellent referee, but I can't understand how she looked at that in real time and said that's a handball. Uh, Wrighton didn't really even appeal for it, which is, you know, 
when you sort of know that it's a sort of low level. Yeah, Mayor uh, mm-hmm. as ever just stepped up brilliantly, dispatched the penalty. And as soon as that went in, it was sort of game over. The final few minutes played out of that instant. Athletic did pull a consolation goal back, which is probably what their efforts deserved on the night. But, you know, Chelsea are through and ultimately through the first sort of hurdle. And they were up against a difficult side. So it's a very, you know, credible win. I, I wonder if Atletico fans will be staying awake at night thinking, hmm, if we had somehow gotten these penalties converted, I mean, you look at an XG of a penalty shot is like 75.75.76% going in and they missed three. Uh, mm. Now, now some a good bit of credit needs to go to, to uh uh, burger in the in the first match but then one uh, but then you if you miss the whole thing then you know the, you have only yourself uh so i was i think they're going to rue the day uh, about that um and so forth so but chelsea moves on one point i wanted to talk about and i think this raises an even bigger issue that leads us up to to the conti cup final and that is beth england now beth england was not available for today because of concussion protocols result of uh, a couple of knocks, actually two knocks that she got during the uh, Atletico match. And the first one um, was like, you know, it was, uh, I think it was a clash of heads there uh, on the first one. I thought that she was going to be actually taken off the field at that time. It didn't, it didn't turn out until the second time that she eventually left the, left the pitch. Mm-hmm. And Emma Hayes, in, in, I, I had read in a couple of articles, was rather critical of the officiating of, uh, in regards to Beth England's injury. Rob, can you elaborate any, uh, anything about that? I'm, I, I'm first and foremost, I will always say that I think the, like, you know, the medical staff at matches should always be fully respected and should always be you know, given the chance. I remember a long time ago, you had the ludicrous um, situation with Jose Mourinho and Eva Canera when he criticised her you know, her for coming on and doing her job. Um, to me, that was one of the most despicable moments ever in football because you should never criticise any of the medical staff on both sides. They are always brilliant. Um, and ultimately, they will always do the best for sort of players. And when you see, you know, serious injuries happen, what is always, you know, amazing is whatever the game it is, you will always see the medical staff from the opposition side coming and helping and coming out. And that's sort of the true you know, brilliance, I think one of the real brilliant things about football is there's always whatever the level of rivalry there is, the most important thing is always the players' welfare. Now, from what I understand in the game in midweek, uh, Beth England had a couple of sort of collisions. The first one, she sort of went down a little bit groggy and sort of got up. The second time she went down, she was asked by the referee if she was okay, and Beth responded that she didn't know. And the referee took that to mean yes. And then a few minutes later, she had a similar collision and went down and this time clearly wasn't OK, was very groggy and was asked about, you know, the staff, where she was. And she had no idea. Um, and at that point, you know, Chelsea made the right decision, subbed her off and brought Gura right on. Um, and ultimately, you know, because of that concussion, she missed the Conti Cup final. And whilst, you know, Chelsea didn't need her for the Conti Cup final, it's always a shame when any player is robbed of the chance to play in, you know, a big occasion, especially someone like England, who... The game last year, she said, was her favourite game of the year. And it meant so much more to sort of, you know, be the match winner and to win the trophies and to win it in front of fans. And although mm-hmm. there weren't fans this year, I'm sure she would have loved to have played a part in sort of, you know, in the history. Because ultimately, players' careers are short. 
and footballing mm-hmm. careers are short and you only get a limited number of chances to play in finals and you want to be involved in as many of them and win as many of them as possible. And my, there was a report that Emma Hayes was not happy with how uh, the, the officiating was in regards to how they handled Beth England's injury. She indicated from reports that they, she felt that the officiating officials there did not take her injuries seriously. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with that synopsis based on what you know? Uh, I mean, um, I, I, I don't necessarily know about, um, I don't necessarily know about taking it seriously because ultimately we don't know exactly what happened, but right. I, I will say that these, you know, these precautions have been brought in for a reason. And I, I thought in the first leg that, AKB should have come off after her brilliant second penalty save because she took a knee in the face from Erin Cuthbert and was clearly a bit unsteady. I thought last week Sophie Bagley for Bristol, um, not uh, Sophie Bagley, sorry, um, for Everton. Um, Everton's keeper should have come off earlier this week against um, Birmingham in the because she sort of took a knee to the face and it, it, you know clearly she was not in a very good sort of state. Um, and look concussed and did eventually, you know, come off, but still was allowed to continue. And players, you know, this has been brought in to try and re- reduce the risk of concussion because we don't know enough about concussion and we don't know enough about the long-term effects of it. And players are expected to support it, managers to support it, so officials should be as well. So to not take it seriously, if that is true, then there is, you know, should be a real investigation into it. Understood. Understood. So let's get on to happier matters mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. But head injuries, you know, I, head injuries is a major issue in these t- in these sports. Uh, and it, it's becoming an increasingly more important issue and a bigger issue in football, regardless of gender, regardless of, of age, regardless of any of those things. And, you know, there have been so many, so much research, so much psychological research, medical research of the uh, effects of even smaller head injuries, uh, you know, that there's been even suggestion that even like the idea of, of not allowing players to head the ball for in, in early parts of their careers have been based on medical research. And when you hear a story where, you know, uh, a, a coach who is one of the best women's coaches in, in, in the game mm. says something in regards to officials not taking head injury seriously, that sends alarm bells to me that says, whoa, wait a minute. Something is, there's a huge, sounds like a possible huge dissonance there of like, okay, I thought we were further along with this, but apparently not. Um, and, um, you know, so it, it is kind of, it is, you know, concerning uh, for that, regardless of, of again, gender, age, or, or, or whatever, uh, that, you know, that everyone has to be on the same page in taking the head injury issue seriously. And when you have a player that, that you know, from reports are saying, and from what I'm hearing, is saying doesn't know where they are, well, obviously, they don't need to be there. Uh, and, and when I thought that was the case, you know, uh, when I saw what happened from, from here, I was like, I mean, she not, she don't know where she is. You know, I, I could, you could just tell from 4,000 miles away, she don't know where she is. She needs to leave. She yeah. can leave for another, you know, uh, 10, 15 or so minutes. Um, and, um, you know, I know players want to play. I know they want to play. I know she didn't want to leave. Um, but that, that's not the most important issue at that point. 
uh, is whether or not you get to play or not. I know that, I mean, as a, as a former player myself, I, I, if I, you know, when I had injuries and could not play in a final, could not be there to win a trophy and, and so forth and be on the pitch, I, it, I felt miserable, but my health overall is most important. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Enough of that soapbox um on that um and so forth let's get like i said let's get to more happier stuff happier stuff today chelsea fans again how do you feel six nil against bristol city conti cup i know i know y'all rob expected to win this one uh and so mm-hmm. forth but you know overall what, what what are your thoughts and feelings about this match before we dig I, into a little bit more detail i mean first and first and foremost i have to say there's a few you know pieces of credit I have to give out before talk about the game so firstly to um our brilliant friends at the vixen cast you know they co- they covered it brilliantly they did a load of content and despite it getting tough you know they continued to keep their absolute heads up kept really positive and there was some great interaction on sort of social media and as i've said i would much rather see bristol stay up than some of the other teams in wsl i think they play a better brand of football they've got better players and i was particularly unimpressed actually today on um, my broadcaster uh, spending a lot of the second half publicly advertising Ebony Salmon's services and saying, you know, what other sides would she she sort of look great in rather than, you know, admiring the fact that she's at Bristol and doing a really good job for Bristol. I thought that was completely, completely unacceptable. Um, and I was particularly yeah. unimpressed at that approach to it. Secondly, yeah, can I, Rob, can I stop you there? I, yeah. I, I think that's really important uh, because I, I was floating around on Instagram and mm-hmm. I saw Ebony in a city shirt yeah, on Instagram and was saying like, uh, with, with a, with a, a caption or uh, something like that about her, you know, you know, would y'all like city fans, I guess, obviously, uh, would y'all like to see her on, on, on at city? And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, I I was absolutely. They they spent a good sort of five to ten minutes in the second half yeah. discussing how she'd fit in. I think they mentioned they said obviously Chelsea don't really need a striker and that's fair enough. But they said how she'd fit in at Manchester United, how she would fit in at Manchester City, how she would fit in at um, Arsenal. You know whether she'd be a good meter my replacement. I thought it was completely, absolutely, absolutely you know unacceptable. And I, I, I you know I thought that was shameful from the broadcasting perspective a lot of the content was very very good today and mm-hmm. i have to say i thought they covered it really well but to you know publicly be debating that in a cup final when it's already not going the team's way it was not the right place or the right time um mm-hmm. and you know I, I thought very strongly about that and i said the other day i would you know ultimately i, I you know, don't want to sound like i'm being hypocritical here because as chelsea i know we've bought players from other wsl teams and if there are other top players we will continue to sign other top players but at the same time, for the league, the more and more times we can see clubs like Bristol, like Reading, like Everton, like Birmingham, even like Tottenham, keeping their best players and developing best players and getting better squads, the less and less likely we are to see you know, results like today, where ultimately Chelsea did win it very, very comfortably. Now, I, I will talk a bit about Chelsea's performance. I thought in the first 35 minutes, I felt a bit sorry for Bristol, purely because... I think if Chelsea had played that way against any WSL side, they'd have, you know, been a couple of goals up. I yeah. thought we were absolutely magnificent. From minute one, we were straight in. And, you know, I've, I've criticised before Jesse Fleming 
um, because I think, you know, she came with a big reputation and hasn't necessarily lived up to it to this point. Her and Guru Wrighton were sort of the surprise selections today. Um, and from minute one, Fleming straight in there, took it down, brilliant sort of driving run through, inch perfect pass through for Frank Kirby. And Kirby just has the present of mind to lay it straight across. There's Sam Kerr, like you want all your good strikers to be at the back post, waiting to, you know, gobble up the chance. And within 90 seconds, I, sort of, I was in a chat and someone sort of said, well, that's sort of game over, isn't it? And I didn't want to say it at that point, but, you know, you kind of felt that impression and instantly you sort of, you know, you saw the body language change. But what was so impressive was that Chelsea just kept up and kept going. And for those, you know, the next 10 minutes, Bristol couldn't really get out for the first 10 minutes. And Chelsea sort of, the second goal was a little bit of a mistake. And again, Fleming was pressing and sort of the press caused the mistake. But I don't necessarily view that as a player mistake. I think that's just really impressive sort of performing and sort of really good from, you've got to give, as much as it's a mistake by the other team, you've got to give credit to Chelsea for the way they pressed. Fleming presses, Kirby nicks it away again. Of course, Kirby's pass is just going to be inch perfect. Um, it always is. And there's Sam Kerr and, you know, our our favourite Aussie flop, who I, I'm not sure how many she's got now this season, but our favourite Aussie flop somehow manages to roll it back across goal into the far corner. Obviously, it's a bit sarcasm. It's a really good finish. Mm. But then uh, she goes ahead and whips out the backflip, um, you know, which a lot of Chelsea fans have been waiting to see. And again, it's been a bit of Sam Kerr's sort of party piece. Chelsea fans are waiting for it when... She sort of, you know, scored the hatchery against West Ham and we thought it might happen. And then we found out she got a knock and we thought it might happen in other big games that she scored in. And so she finally sort of whipped out the backflip and it clearly meant a lot to a lot of the players there. They wanted sort of to see the signature celebration too. Um, and I think at that point, you know, re- realistically, it was probably game over. Um, and I don't think that's really unfair to sort of say it, but the way Chelsea approached the first 10 minutes was exactly how you'd want them to sort of do it. Um from then on they sort of just continued I have to say that they you know just played really really brilliantly in my opinion um just a really really excellent sort of performance and the third goal again the third goal is the one I think Bristol will be most disappointed with because Mm -hmm. that was Sophie Bagley and she's usually such a very good goalkeeper I said this the other day I think she's probably the best goalkeeper outside the top four and she committed a really rare error played the ball straight to Frank Kirby. And if there are players at the moment you don't want to give the ball to about 30 yards out when you're out of goal, it's Kirby mm-hmm. because she's just got such confidence and ability. And, you know, she chipped it in. And what I really liked about the chip was that although Bagley was backpedalling and looking away, Kirby chipped it towards the opposite corner. So right. even if she'd been back on the line, it would have mm-hmm. required a very, very good save. I mean, even just before that, um, Chelsea went close. Magda Eriksson and Millie Bright both, I thought, should have scored from set pieces. I also have to say, Yana Daniels got away with one of the most blatant handballs I've ever seen. It was yes. so, utterly, so utterly blatant. Again, I reported it on the CNC right. socials a good save because it was right. so. I'm Absolutely. not sure. Either. And ultimately, it's one of those things where I, you know, I think a red card at that moment in time wouldn't have helped anyone. It would have just been completely pointless for it. So I can understand why the referee, even if they saw it, chose to turn a blind eye to mm-hmm. it it shouldn't really happen but you can understand why um and again the fourth goal was just this was just splendid from Chelsea a wonderful sort of interplay of passes between Kerr, Kirby and Wrighton uh Kerr sort of slipped through Kirby and she sprung the offside track brilliantly strode into the box there's a covering defender in Bagley and she put it across both of them brilliantly again got a bit lucky that it squirmed through Bagley's legs into the net but just a superb finish and Chelsea were just so in control I mean Bristol had their first shot on target well, their first shot even in 
added mm-hmm. time in the first half when right. Master Antonio blazed over the crossbar. And so let me let me let, so let's stop it there in, in the first in, in with the first mm-hmm. half because I, yeah. I I had some thoughts that I, that I, I jotted down. Now first, I was a bit surprised by Bristol's formation. Uh, yeah. They went with more like a three four three, and what, why I made note of that is because since January they've been either in a four one four one or a four five one type of setup. But they went with a three four three and had three in the back, and I was like, and they had played three in the back earlier in the season, and of course that was when they were being rolled. I mean, really seriously rolled, uh, and I was like really shocked to see three in the back against a Chelsea squad that loves to just strike from wherever direction right at your back line. And there was only three in the back. Uh, and I thought that was almost a setup, um, you know, to kind of set up defensively that that was not going to work. Um, what, did you see that also, or, or do I have it wrong? I was, I was a little surprised, but I think, I think they were trying probably more to play a five at the back and they were hoping to be a bit more, I think mm. you would have seen it more as a five back formation, maybe sure. sort of five, three, two almost with um, sort of, or maybe even a, four, a five, four, one with sort of salmon expected to sort of plow the lone furrow up front. But I think when you concede that early in a game, it's sort of, you know, it causes big issues. And like I said before, I don't necessarily think it was, I don't necessarily think Bristol got their tactics wrong as per se. Okay. Um, I think Chelsea could have maybe expected to put more of a fight, but I also think Chelsea just got it so right on the day. And, it, you know, when it ultimately clicks that well, then they're a very hard team to stop. And you've seen them against better, you know, against Everton earlier this season. Uh, they won, Chelsea sort of won 4-0 and played brilliantly. And that could have been any score. Um, against Tottenham, we saw them win 4-0 and that could have you know, been any score. Against Manchester United in the opening 15 minutes, if Sam Kerr had had a shooting boots, she could have had a hat-trick and Chelsea could have been out of sight. And United are meant to be one of the closest teams to them. So, right. you know, I, I don't necessarily think it was a tactics thing, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I agree, Rob. I, I, I really do. I just thought that was interesting, particularly how the first goal was set up. But I totally agree. I think I, I don't... I, to give, I want to give Bristol a lot of credit. Number one, for the fact that they were there in the first place is one. The second yeah. piece of it was, I think, for the first, at least they they fought bravely, though they really did. What they ran across was an absolute buzzsaw. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. You could have put out the uh, uh, all star starting eleven of all the other combined WSL sides, and I still think that this Chelsea side today would have scored four on them yeah it was Chelsea was that good and they were that good from the start I mean beautiful play the the you know going back and forth with Kirby to Kerr you know and and vice versa you know the way often the the buildup was from the you know back to the midfield a diverse array of attack strategies um, you know, like not going with just like long balls over the top, but, you know, you know, long balls on the ground or going right up in the middle or, you know, however way it was just a diverse array of, we're just going to come at you at all angles. And yeah, I think Emma got it completely right from a tactical standpoint. And we talked about this the other day, like, okay, is Emma strategy going to be like in most all other games, which is attack, get one goal up early and hope all the dominoes begin to fall. And that's exactly what happened. And when you have Kerr 
and Kirby both playing probably one of their better matches all year, you know, as far as a pairing is concerned, yeah. pair them together. I mean, they, I mean, it, they could have played anybody is what I'm saying. And yeah. I think they would have rolled them. Um, what do you think? No, I completely agree. I think that I, I, I think they should have, I think if you could say one thing maybe for Bristol, it was that after sort of, you know, immediately going sort of 2-0 down very early on, perhaps that was when there was time to make a change. Sure. Um, and time to sort of, you know, maybe try and shut up shop, damage limitation a little bit. But on one hand, sort of, you know, would they really, would fans have really wanted to see that in a cup final, seeing, you know, go 2-0 down and then sort of just give up and completely, you know, shift tactic? I think probably not. No. Um, again, Kirby and Kerr have just been brilliant all year. I... I've been harsh to Sam Kerr at times for her finishing. And I've said that she You're did the only one. earlier in the season if, you know, she had everything but the finish. Now mm-hmm. she's adding the finish to the game and you're seeing exactly why she is this world-class superstar. And you are now seeing why, you know, she's called things like the Australian Messi right. and why she has such an incredible goal-scoring record and why Chelsea was so keen to bring her to sort of English football. And... And let's not forget today, Chelsea didn't even need to use the world's most expensive player. And arguably the player I think in recent weeks who's been on sort of, you know, our most potent attacking force in the last couple of weeks in Pinella Harder. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I just thought they were just superb for the opening. If, if Chelsea had started like that against Atletico away and started in that same way, then I have no doubt that the tie would have been over by halftime because Chelsea would have scored two or three against Atletico. And it was just... Unlucky that Bristol fell on the first half where Chelsea were just so, you know, utterly dominant. Yeah, I, you know, in, in my, my discussion of the three things that Chelsea needed to improve in, in our discussion previously to that, uh, you mentioned the same thing, and that was clinical finishing. And, you know, I brought out the statistic that, that as a team, their ratio of, of expected goals to goals was plus five, three. And it was Frank Kirby who has that ratio is her own by herself was plus five, two point. So that meant that the rest of the team was like plus Oh one, you yeah. know, Sam Kerr was at, at a ratio of zero. Um, you know, so, you know, that basically saying that she's gotten the, the, the same amount of goals as, as quote expected, but if Chelsea, the thing that they, I felt like they needed to improve was the clinical finishing. And, and I, in my head, I was thinking one of those people would be Sam Kerr. And now she has, and if, if she gets on the same level of clinical finishing as Harder and Kirby and, and Atal, then that makes Chelsea, I mean, they're dangerous to start with, mm. but now yeah. they're more dangerous because as you said, you got the Australian Messi now just rolling along. And, and, this, and this is where the, the coming out party seemed to be of, okay, both Kirby and Kerr are so incredibly dangerous and you can't stop. You may want, you may be able to stop one of us, but you're not going to be able to stop both of us potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just made them so dangerous. Unfortunately, Bristol ended up being the victim of that. Going back to the third goal, I thought things, I mean, I thought maybe, you know, it at two nil, maybe there's a chance mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, this could still be a match, but then at that third goal, and you, you mentioned it very brilliantly about, you know, you know, um, you know, chipping it to the other side of the goal. At that point, I was like, mm, this is done. Um, you know, I, I just felt like from a mental standpoint, that probably seemed to me 
would would have been like the most mentally damaging because the other one, the, the first two goals, which is, were moments of brilliance. I don't think anyone would have stopped those two goals, but that third one, that that probably hurt the most uh, from yeah. a mental well, standpoint. So there were two um, there were two quite thing, uh, things that happened in the first half on an injury scale that I was concerned about. I know there's another one uh, later on. Um, Ingle, there was an injury with her with an ankle. Um, and I think uh, Wrighton also had an injury as well, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Ingle's one is a bit interesting. It's on her ankle and there they didn't seem to be a lot of stuff off the game. She was carrying a knock going into the game, but mm-hmm. it's an ongoing ankle injury they're sort of managing. So I think you'll have to just sort of wait and see on that. Judging on Wrighton's one, I think she took a knock, but she looked like she just, you know, was absolutely fine. I thought she was the best player on the pitch in the second half overall pound for pound. So besides, you know, the obvious candidate, um, who will sort of come on to again. But uh yeah, I, I thought Wrighton looked Wrighton looked perfectly fine, I, to mm-hmm. be honest. I think it was one of those ones where it was an impact injury. Okay. So talk, so talk about the second half. I mean the second half was that did that seem to you more like, you know, pick up a couple more goals, wrap things up and and you know, let's uh let's go to the trophy stand or or how do you think that second half went? So I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge the second half because I don't want to sort of, I don't want to ignore the fact that there were two more goals scored. So firstly, I'd sort of said to people that, you know, it'd be interesting to see how Chelsea come out in the second half because they've got the game won at this right. point. You know, it'd be silly to pretend at 4-0 it wasn't won. But what I wanted to see as a Chelsea fan was um, the team come out and sort of approach the half properly. And by that, I mean, give Bristol the respect that they've, you know, got to the final but also keep their arm's length sort of successfully. And just sort of, you know, three minutes into the second half, you sort of saw Bristol, uh, it came from a Bristol corner. Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of came forward and were looking quite lively at the beginning of the second half. Chelsea had made three changes. They brought Hannah Blundell, Aaron Cuthbert and Drew Spence all on for Ingle, Leopold and Anderson, who all of them have been brilliant this season. And it was right to give them a rest. But again, this is what I think from a Bristol perspective, you would be annoyed with because... I uh, it's a cardinal sin in football concede from your own corner, but it was brilliant again. Guru right and breaking away, and she played an inch perfect pass through for Frank Kirby. And I thought Kirby was just going to cut inside and maybe try and curl it on her left, but instead she had uh, sort of her head all the way up and just looked across and find Sam Kerr and just swept it, you know, across to her and simple enough finish for Sam Kerr for the hat trick and just superb example of team play from Kirby again. Then. Barely, you know, a couple of minutes later, Chelsea were just dominant for the next couple of minutes. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. whatever word you say in the dressing room at halftime, 4-0 down, if you then go and concede a fifth, it does obviously hurt. Um, the goal scoring concluded on the 55th minute. And I was a little bit, you know, the only argument you made says Chelsea they didn't really press home the advantage afterwards, albeit at 6-0 up. I don't think there was much need to. But again, Kirby just mercurial, collected a pass from Drew Spence, drove into the box. I thought she was going to cut in again and take her own hat-trick. And instead, she had the presence of mind to look up and square it to Guru Wright. And Wright had found an easy yard of space. And, you know, from there, you expect a good player to just sweep it home into the empty net easily. And fourth goal, I think, in the tournament for Wrighton, uh, possibly her fifth. But, you know, she's been very good in the Conti Cup this year. And that's somewhere where she has found regular minutes. That was really good to see. Um, and at that point, you know, Chelsea in the 60th minute, I think you could say they declared because they brought off Kirby and Kerr. And I will say, Sam Kerr, brilliant hat-trick. Um, but it's one of those rare occasions where she's not player of the match because Kirby was just absolutely phenomenal. Every single decision that Frank Kirby made in that game. was. She should have had a penalty as well when she was mowed down at one point in the first half. Um, 
should have had one in the second half when she was also mowed down. But, you know, at six, or I think it was at 3-0, and at, you know, 6-0 respectively, you don't really want to see that being given. I, I There were people, so I had an argument about this, and I sort of said, you know, at 6-0, there's no point giving a penalty. It's not, you know, going to affect the nature of the game. It's just going to demoralise the player even more who's made the mistake. Um, Neem Charles and Jess Carter coming on, and it was good to see Jess Carter getting a chance, actually, because she's another very good young player but hasn't featured as much this season because of injuries and because of, you know, just the depth and power of Chelsea's squad. Um, Neem Charles is, is just brilliant, brilliant young player. But Bristol played really well, I thought, in the second half, considering, you know, that the game was over and they could very easily have dropped their head completely and just, you know, had a real, real thumping. Um, but they were unlucky not to get a consolation goal. AKB made a really good stop from Ebony Salmon and a good stop from Palmer as the Vixens pressed. And then the game was sort of drifting a little bit. And it, it's sad that the final, you know, big moment of note is uh, sort of, you know, the, the one I'm going to come on to. So again, do you want to cover anything before I move on to sort of the... No, go ahead. Go, go right ahead. So again, on the 74th minute, Palmer and Mary Mielda collided in an innocuous looking challenge. And I, I watched it live and there was much in it. But Mielda landed very badly on her knee. And in empty stadiums, the worst thing about empty stadiums, the best thing about empty stadiums, I say, is that you can hear the manager and you hear the players and you hear the talking. The right. worst thing you can hear moments like this, the scream was like horrendous. And it was clearly bad because as soon as it happened, uh, Palmer was upset and they immediately flagged everyone onto the pitch and sort of, you know, the medical staff were on. There was a lengthy, long period of treatment. And I think she's probably, you know, it's probably an ACL injury or some sort of knee ligament injury. And, you know, uh, as someone who has been known, is known as the fullback evangelist for a reason, it was tough to watch because mm-hmm. Mary Mielder ultimately is a one of the older members of the squad. And A, there, there's two elements here. Number one is that, it's a chance you're going to miss something really, really exciting with this squad because they could, you know, win a treble and a quadruple and not being part of that, you know, psychologically can affect you. But also, um, sort of, you know, Marin has only a limited time left in her career. And if it is a bad injury, okay, there is sort of, you know, the world, I think there's the women's Euros next year. She will want to be a part of that. But if it's a long, you know, injury and potentially there's a real rehab from it, then the chances are sort of, you know, limited in that regard as well. So I'm hoping that it, isn't as bad as it seems, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reluctant. And the muted, you saw muted celebrations at the end. I think it's fair to say because Chelsea players were, especially Frank Kirby, mm-hmm. Gura Wrighton, who's her Norwegian teammate, were clearly very, very upset. And Emma Hayes as well, because Emma sort of treats her. She described her afterwards as the mother hen of the group. And I, I thought it was very poignant that they said that Mary Mielder is one of the big reasons why Frank Kirby, after last year when she had a sort of horrible pericarditis, um, which I should say, actually, if you get a chance, go on Kirby's own official Twitter. There's an unbelievable article on the pericarditis story and sort of her own words and telling the story, brilliantly told by ESPN. Um, I know, you know, probably one of the best articles I've read all year. But it was interesting that Maren was one of the big players to sort of pull her back because she was contemplating retirement. And Maren was one of the big players getting her involved and keeping her in it. So it clearly meant a lot to Fran because they're clearly very close as well. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I have to say, I hope it's not as bad as it looks, but I suppose the one thing you could sort of, the only thing you can say to Chelsea is that at least in the position they have the talented Neem Charles and Jess Carter who can come in and sort of play the role. But at the same time, you don't want that to be the answer. You don't want to be saying, well, you know, we're missing so-and-so, but so-and-so can step in. That shouldn't be your response after an injury. Um, and, yeah, I have to sort of say, after that, the game sort of, you know, it was very muted following this event. It clearly affects a lot of the players, on the pitch is the nature of the injury. Um, 
Mm-hmm. They took as long as they needed to sort of deal with it. Harrison did briefly threaten to grab a Bristol goal, but Millie Bright put in a terrific sliding challenge. And then Chelsea probably should have had a seventh. Drew Spence volleyed wide from still about six yards when she probably should have hit the target. And then Charles was denied by Bagley. But ultimately, you know, Chelsea won 6 0. And it was probably the most muted celebrations you'll ever see at 6 0 because clearly it meant a lot, the Mayor and Mielda sort of issue but then you know when they got to actually lifting the trophy it was it was lovely to see actually they got Mayor and Mielder's shirt down and sort of you know you mm-hmm. saw Fran clutching it very tightly had it in all the imagery had it sort of you know in a lot of the subsequent club content and I can tell you for a fact having been to games that like Mayor and Mielder is one of the most popular there is a reason why the fans sing oh Mayor and Mielder, um, and why you know she's one of the most popular players with the sports group always puts 100% effort in is so reliable is one of those players always gives you a 7 out of 10 and he's just such a powerful mentality more than anything. And that's the element that I think Chelsea really will miss is that especially when going mm-hmm. in the later elements of European competitions, she is someone who indeed has been there and done that and sort of, you know, has that nous and that that sort of um, sort of experience that maybe some of the other players don't have. And now this is going to be a challenge for some of the other players that have more European experience, the likes of your, you know, even people like Fran Kirby, Erin Cuthbert, who's now done a few European campaigns, and Pamela Harder is the obvious one to sort of step up and fill that leadership void. Yeah, I as unfortunately as I was watching, you know, the the game. I mean, I, I considered the game obviously to be one at mm. the half, uh, and I was thinking like, you know, if I were Emma, which I'm not. Uh, I wish I was, I guess. Um, but uh, I was thinking, if I can get through this without anyone getting significantly injured, mm. uh, and I think that was part of the play of of, of subbing off three people, um, you know, at half. It's like, all right, let me let me just rest some people. Let me get some people out here. Uh, let me give some people a chance to you know play in a cup final. You know that type of thing. Um, you know. But, you know, I, th- I was thinking like, you know, I was like, it, the worst thing that could potentially happen now is that mm-hmm. someone get like significantly injured um, where they would end up missing match time. And sure enough, that's what ended up happening is it because yeah. it, it looked to me, um, you know, I'm not a medical doctor and I don't pretend to be one, not even on YouTube. But, you know, it looked to me that obviously with the attention and, and everything else like, uh, yeah, I've been through knee injuries before. That looks like, as you said, uh, a ligament injury. That's going to be a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was probably the worst news. And not knowing the player a, a, as well as, as you do, then it seems like an even more, I can now, I understand now the more muted ending. Uh, not, yeah. I mean, to have an injury like that in any match is going to end up with a muted response. But yeah, I understand how the celebrations were more more muted and, and and so forth. That oh, this is this is a pretty serious injury to a player. And then the question I had for you, which you already answered, was um, the the mentality piece because she seemed like a player that that really on in the locker room and on the training field and on the pitch is someone that really drives to train. Um, and so yeah. you answer that question uh, that, yes, she is. And that that might be the more significant of losses uh, rather than as much as her being on the pitch itself. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say a couple of other things why I think it was so sort mm-hmm. of shocking. And the one is that Mayor and Mielda, uh, even earlier this week, she was just talking about the Conti Cup final and sort of saying, 
how much she was enjoying playing and how much she loved playing. Mm-hmm. Number two is that Mielda before has had a number of injuries herself um, yeah. and had some horrible knee injuries in the past, sort of before. And so she is, you know, it's one of those players that I, I always have a, a lot of respect for players coming back from injuries. And I always, you know, especially when a player is injury prone, it's never fun to see a player get injured because effectively they're doing their own job. And the way I always mm-hmm. compare it to people is like, you know, how would you feel if you got injured at work? Um, right. And, mm-hmm. you know, how would you feel if you got a serious injury? I want to also stress in this one that, you know, the Bristol City player, it was an innocuous challenge. It's the sort of thing that can just happen. Yeah, and they were absolutely. clearly devastated too. I didn't think the referee really needed to book them afterwards. I, I saw that Palmer yeah, got the card and I didn't think that really benefited anyone. Um, I was you know, be critical of the, I don't like being critical of officials, but I didn't really think it was useful for anyone. The final thing I will also say is that Mayer, as I said, is like, is the Norway captain. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for Gura Wrighton, who is like, you know, herself, I know, obviously she's a, Big personality, but also quite timid in her odd, odd description of herself. Um, it's like, you know, to see your national captain and someone who obviously, you know, means a lot to your country, but also to you as a friend, as a teammate, go down in that sort of way. And to be so close to the incident must be quite, you know, quite harrowing. So ultimately, you know, there's a, there is a reason why I'm sure when the fans get back to King's Meadow, you will see... Mayor and Mielder banners, there are reasons why, you know, oh, Mayor and Mielder was trending earlier on Twitter. There are reasons why every single member of the team have sort of, you know, tweeted tonight and tweeted out the shirt and said this one, because it's someone who, you know, from the squad, probably one of those unsung fussy heroes that if you wanted to win sort of, you know, big competitions, you want 11 players like Mayor and Mielder. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I, I hope that everything goes well. I hope it is not as bad as it looks uh, or looked. Uh, and so forth, and hope for a speedy recovery um, uh, for her. So, who is what's next for Chelsea? They got, I think, they got Everton midweek. They do have Everton in the next in their next game, and that's um, a, that's an away, correct? Yeah, I believe. Yeah, well, at the moment it should be. However, I, I will also I would like to put out how despicable it was to read the ridiculous absolutely yes. story um, about vandals going in and vandalizing Everton Stadium. Um, I hope they are found and I hope they are severely punished because that's just absolutely utterly unacceptable to go in and perform an Arsenal, you know, on a stadium, whoever sort of, you know, if you feel like you've benefited in some way by doing that, please go and seek help because I, and I, I, you know, I, I mean, don't mean that lightly because ultimately what compels you to go and just set fire to a football stadium, especially when you don't know, you know, the, circ- the circumstance of anyone was in the stadium etc at the time you don't know what the staff are doing mm-hmm. you know just absolutely you know utterly horrendous to sort of see so yeah Chelsea face Everton on Wednesday at seven o'clock and then after that it's the Wednesday after they face Wolfsburg in the first leg so a weekend off from WSL next weekend for the first time in a while yeah absolutely but how do you feel about Everton and Wolfsburg coming up for this squad I mean Everton will be Everton will be interesting because I think Everton's, we sort of said before, one of those teams you don't like to play it against um, because they're difficult. But I think ultimately Chelsea will feel like they can go to Everton and sort of, you know, Everton will know they're going to attack. And Chelsea, I think, will be quite comfortable going and attacking and trying to choke them. As Wolfsburg, um, Wolfsburg are a very good side, don't get me wrong. But I would say Chelsea have ended up on the kind of half of the draw 
because they face Wolfsburg, who are still clearly missing Penilla harder up front. They're struggling a bit with regular goal scoring this season and they are leaking a lot of goals defensively. And that's somewhere I think Chelsea can really get in is sort of, you know, outgunning them in that regard and sort of outscoring them. And I imagine Penilla harder after comments by the Wolfsburg manager about the way she left them. Wolfsburg, she will be keen to sort of, you know, remind them how good a player she is and sort of everything as well. Um, ultimately playing the first leg at home has a different, you know, again, the same pressure as the first one that you don't want to see an away goal, but ultimately it's a good chance in front of Kings Meadow where we've got a good sort of you know, record. And in between that, we've got a game against Aston Villa between the second legs. So there's a chance to rotate as well, because I think, you know, realistically, again, Chelsea should be looking at the Villa game and saying that's one of the games we expect to win. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, Wolfsburg is, a, Wolfsburg is the kind of half of the draw because if we beat them, we'll face you know, Bayern or Rosengard. And I think it's probably fair to say it's going to be Bayern München, um, who are, again, a good side, but lost many Leopolds last year and are, you know, tussling with Wolfsburg in the German league. But if we want to try and, you know, get to the final, as I've said this before, and win the competition, you're going to need to beat a very good team. And ultimately, on the other half of the draw, you've got PSG, Lyon, uh, Manchester City and uh, Barcelona, all of which are incredible teams. And mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is... By the time the final comes around, at least three of those incredible teams are going to be gone. Um, And, you know, I think Chelsea having that that nicer half of the draw where in other years they haven't necessarily benefited from that, that, you know, they should really be looking at this. And if they're not getting to, you know, a semi-final at least and probably a final, then you're going to be quite disappointed this year. And if they get to a final, you know, I've said I would rather play a lot of the top teams over 90 minutes and over two legs. Because I think you can have an off day on 90 minutes. And same. Right. this is also the, the danger for Chelsea. You can have an off day on 90 minutes, but you can't over two legs. You rarely have two games where both where the team underperforms. And, you know, if they can catch a sort of Leon not on their best day or catch a Barcelona not on their best day or even Manchester City, you know, on, not on their best day, then they have every chance of lifting it this season. I mean, I, I like the attitude of, of Manchester City uh, fans where they're like, well, yeah, we got to be, you know, we got to be the best in order to be the best. Yeah. And, you know, we got to play whoever's in front of us and, and so forth. But to be bluntly honest, Chelsea has a much easier road to the final mm-hmm. uh, when you got PSG, Leon and Barcelona and Manchester City all grouped together. Um, you know, like that, it, it's, you know, it's a really difficult road. I mean, you know, um, for them uh in, in comparison so I, I would agree with um agree with that uh not wanting to take any any team lightly at all uh it's still going to be a challenge but uh it's clear who has the tougher challenge I ultimately i've said this and i said this to a couple of people when i said this the other day is that ultimately there are now eight teams that are now the best teams left in europe right and in order to get to the you know to win the trophy you'll need to be at least three of them now Absolutely. that's at least fifty percent right. of the best teams left. Of the best teams in Europe, you'll need to beat three of them. On their day, I think all of them, with the exception of maybe FC Rosengard, because not not you know being honest, they you know probably the weakest team left in there. They're still a very good side, but I don't think they're on the caliber of everyone else. On their day, I think everyone in that group, if they played each other ten times, you would possibly get five wins for an away side and five wins for the home side. Mm-hmm. It will be who turns up on the day, which players sort of put the, uh, you know have the form at the right time. But I think with the lineup that Chelsea have and the options that Chelsea have and the you know, versatility that they have, then, uh, you know, just absolutely sort of, you know, no reason why they can't go and win it. I, I, I would have to agree, particularly after, you know, uh, this performance. And uh, again, I have to go back to Sam Kerr. 
um, in the sense that um, that that was one piece that everyone was hoping would be somehow would magically get put in the right place. Uh, you know, that, that um, you know, the, the potential would then start actually coming through this season. Uh, and we saw that and we've, we're now beginning to see that on display. Uh, and that just adds to the, you know, gigantic firepower that, that was already in place. And as you're, and the other part of it is, is as Chelsea is a very deep, deep squad, um, you know, that helps too. I, I, I believe, you know, whoever shows up, you know, their best, uh, whoever has an off day, uh, club wise, personnel wise, and, uh, who has the most depth available, um, ends up winning, um, you know, because it is a gauntlet to get through, as you mentioned. So, uh, Chelsea, definitely one of the favorites, but before we end, I know Rob, you wanted to mention about, um, a charitable event yeah. that was a part of the Conti cup final. So Rob, you wanted to give an kind of an update or talk a little bit about what the result of that. Was. Yeah. So our, our wonderful friends, uh, the, uh, Chelsea women's supporters group at, um, Chelsea women SG on Twitter, um, a couple of weeks ago, because obviously it became clear that fans weren't going to be at the game, they said about trying to offer a virtual ticket for the final, which again was sort of a jointly sponsored venture by the CFCW Social, in that we agreed to sort of help fund a raffle for a ticket give uh, for a shirt giveaway mm-hmm. provided by the wonderful at Fodies. Um and uh, it was pretty incredible because in the first sort of you know. Um, 12 hours we'd already we had an initial target of 500 pounds and within the first 12 hours we had two players donating and we'd absolutely smashed the target um and again you know i have to credit everyone in the fan base that this is what makes you know women's football fans so brilliant and football fans so brilliant is them coming together to support two wonderful causes in plan international and also ditch the label which is a charity very close to millie bright's heart um and in the end you know we've achieved the fantastic total of achieving over 2500 pounds which is going to be split between these two great causes um i look forward to sharing again i can't share the name at the moment but i look forward to sharing the details of who's won the shirt and arranging that and hopefully getting the photos sort of you know shared up and yeah it's just fantastic to see that and hopefully next time we come to sort of you know a final or to sort of you know a match day like this it will be a chance to have the fans in the stadium we can sort of celebrate together i certainly have to say there's an awful lot of people that are you know over the last 12 months through winter football i've made friends of online via the CCW social. I'm looking forward to when I get back to Kings Meadow and I can have, you know, a good steaming hot cup of Bovril um, with them and sort of, you know, and cheer the fat over it because there's so much, you know, good positivity, especially in women's football. And I have to give a general credit to that, to all of the fan bases, really. They all really help that. And at times I do think, you know, some of them can be a bit more um, bullish than others, I think is a fair term. But, uh, you know, I have to give credit to them. A lot of the, I also have to say real credit to the Bristol City sort of supporters who also shared the venture to a lot of people and some of them, you know, have donated and got involved in getting the virtual tickets because they recognised, you know, importantly, it wasn't really about Chelsea, it was about the charities benefiting. Right. And that, you know, was the most important thing. So delighted to be a part of that. And again, I'd like to extend thanks and congratulations to Kerry Evans and the entire supporters group for a fantastically sort of run event. Okay. Absolutely brilliant stuff, man. Absolutely great. Uh, great cause, and I'm great that it turned out well, well, well above hope and expectation, and that's always great to see happen. 
uh, and so forth. Rob, uh, I have taken up a lot of your time. Uh, I took up a lot of your time on Friday. So thank you, Rob, uh, so very much. Thank you to the CFC uh, W Social, who have been very, very supportive of this program, uh, you know, and, and keeping us, uh, keeping us in the loop, bringing us into the loop, uh, and so forth. I'm very proud of that, very happy about that. And I thank you very much, Rob, for, for doing that. Rob, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I hope you get some rest. You've been extremely busy. Uh, your folks at the CFCW social have been just, uh, you know, just cranking out the content uh, like crazy. So uh, get some rest and uh, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. And everyone, tomorrow, programming note, tomorrow, Mark from the Barmy Army will be back talking about some news coming out of Manchester United. You, you thought, hey, they don't have a game. But, you know, it just seems that United always seems to have some type of news coming out. There's like three news items that Mark and I need to talk about in relation to United uh, coming up as they prepare for a critical match on, on Friday. I hope I get my days right, finally. Uh, I will be by myself on with the uh, Manchester City FanCast. Uh, Emma from the FanCast will not be joining us on Monday. So I'm on my own uh, talking about Manchester City coming up tomorrow. Uh, and then after that will be the Arsenal fan cast, um, fan cast. Sorry, y'all weekly special weekly feature. So for today, England is burning is going to be out for Sunday, the 14th of March. Please know that the light is out there. Acknowledge that the light exists and let the light be a part of what you do in your life in general, but also there's the darkness out there and we have to acknowledge that and do not let the darkness hug you no matter what. And if it does, please get help for yourself, get support uh, for yourself, take care of yourself, take care of others. Uh, and England is burning is out for today. Marvelous. <laughs>